Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. In Ezekiel chapter 13, the prophet warns against those who speak their own words, the inspiration of their own thoughts from their own heart. Such prophets, Ezekiel warns, spread lies and build whitewashed walls. The Lord is against them, he warns, and the work of their hands will surely fall. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 25 to 28. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 366 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Richard and I constantly push back against personal inspiration. People refer to their idea, their feeling, their personal story, their experience, and deal with them as though they have divine authority. This is classically what scripture would refer to as idolatry. Now, what most people don't know is that when Richard and I talk this way, we're not giving an opinion about sociology and the dynamics of modern religion. We're talking about the prophets. Ezekiel himself explicitly in a text that is referenced by the woes against the scribes and Pharisees today, explicitly condemns prophets who speak on the basis of personal inspiration. Ezekiel chapter 13, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, Listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. And then, of course, just a few verses down, the famous reference to the whitewashing of walls. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. It's an interesting reference that Paul uses in Acts and Matthew uses here. And of course, Paul and Matthew are both talking about Ezekiel. In Hebrew, the word is from their heart, and that's how it's translated also in the King James. But we have to remember, from their heart means from their own mind. Those other prophets, they thought about it for a long time. They did their research, and then they talked. And God says, no, this is not the case, because here is precisely the problem. Just like you can't hold a wall up with plaster, you can't hold up a system of ideas through a few hours of internet research. I'll put research in quotes there for those who can't see me. People base faith on YouTube and not on scripture 
and then call themselves Christians, but they don't know that Deuteronomy comes before Joshua. I had an experience this week where I was quoting from Deuteronomy to people, and they were offended. <laughs> I mean... Fortunately, I know they're not offended with me because it wasn't even me. I was literally just reading from the Bible. It's not you they fear from being king over them, Richard. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, it, it was so surprising to me. I was teaching Deuteronomy 31, and the Lord says to Moses, here's everything they're supposed to follow, the people, but they're not going to follow it. So they need to keep this text in front of them so that, when they don't follow it, there's a witness against them. The Lord knew you were going to break it anyway. Scripture is here not so that you follow it. (laughs) Scripture is here to show you that you didn't follow it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, First, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. You are worried about appearances. You're worried about how things look on the outside. And that's what teachers are when they're self-referential. Remember that the critique of hypocrisy is being leveled by a teacher, the writer, who's condemning himself so that you disconnect the authority of the teaching from the authority of his human thoughts in his human heart, the authority of his inspiration, of his personality, or of him as a religious figure. Matthew is discrediting the teacher and elevating the teaching. The teacher is a fake. All teachers are fakes. All of us are sinners. If you're looking for a teacher who you can follow because they're righteous— You're fantasizing. It doesn't exist. There isn't a single human being who isn't compromised. And that's why Solzhenitsyn's quote is so powerful, that the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every person. It's true of us, and it's certainly true of the writers of Scripture. So why should we follow them? That's the key point. The argument that some people make is that being baptized or accepting Jesus or whatever cleanse the inside. So now the inside is clearly clean. Now I can do what I want to do. That's like saying that scripture is something that you read one time and it changes your mind. It doesn't work that way. Scripture itself attests to this by saying that you have to memorize this song in Deuteronomy 32 because every time they disobey God's word, they use this song as a testimony against them. When Jesus is talking about the contrast between this and what looks clean on the outside, he's referring to all these things that he's been talking about among these woes, the long prayers, swearing by the gold, offering mint and thyme, things that the Pharisees do to show how righteous they are. But at the same time, they're devouring widows' houses, refusing to look up to the one who sanctifies the temple. In Matthew, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount that said that no matter what act of righteousness you perform, your right hand is not allowed to know what your left hand is doing. He set all those tenets out in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? You're not to pray in public. You're not to fast in public. You're not to perform any act of righteousness in public from the outset. You have to be suspicious of those who, quote, appear correct. If we're striving to look 
correct. That's also incorrect. We have to follow Scripture with our actions in such a way that we receive no accolades from other humans. This is as counterintuitive as we can think, because even the Pharisees build up their ranks, just like every single church in America and the world that's always trying to build its ranks. We're always trying to look appealing. We're always trying to get bigger. We're always afraid of being irrelevant, of people not attracted to us. These are the things we're worried about. These are all inspiration from our own mind. The minute someone says, and by the way, no one would ever say this, oh, that Father Mark, he's so humble. I've failed as a priest. I've failed. If there's anything I've done that has caused them to boast about my humility, then I stink as a teacher. If they say, oh, that Richard is such a good man, he uses his knowledge to help the community. If they say that, you've failed. Now, even if you didn't say something to cause them to say that by whitewashing your tomb, and I love that metaphor because we're all going to die, so what are you putting a coat of paint on? Even if you haven't tried to actively whitewash, if in preaching Scripture you have not delivered the message of God's judgment, then you've failed that person by not smashing the idol that they have formed of you. And this mode of teaching is not compatible with gaining converts. It's not compatible because it's not attractive. You've said many times how Americans are attracted to the cult of personality. They want to follow an inspirational leader. That's how Silicon Valley works with all of the strange mystical sycophancy. Oh, he's such a wise corporate executive. Deeply problematic, friends, and anti-scriptural. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Now, in Ezekiel, the critique is that when the prophet speaks his own thoughts, when he is inspired, which Christians today falsely refer to as the Holy Spirit, and thus work against the will of God in the name of his Spirit. Please don't ever talk to me about being moved by the Spirit unless you're referring to your mom or dad grabbing you by the back of the neck and dragging you to do the dishes. What Ezekiel is saying is that when you play this game as one who bears the mantle of the prophet in Israel, you are promoting lies. The lie at the heart of all lies is the righteousness of the religious teacher. Because in the Old Testament, remember, and it's true of the United States, we've said on the podcast many times, the separation of church and state is a fallacy. And that's why Americans are turning politics into a new religious war. Because you need to worship what you follow. That is the bottom line. And it just so happens that in the ancient world, they were more honest about the fact that they worshipped their king in their city. So there was no separation between the priest and the governor. And the Orthodox understand this because our bishops are rulers. So he is critiquing the ruler when he critiques the priest or the king who would dare to impose themselves on the people in the place of God's law. In Haggai, 
there's a discussion about what makes something clean or unclean. If you have an unclean food that touches a garment and then you touch something with that garment, does it make that thing unclean? And there's a whole discussion about cleanness and uncleanness. By saying that you, Pharisees, because you're unclean on the inside but clean on the outside, when you touch something, you actually make it unclean. Because on the inside you haven't cleansed yourself, you're spreading uncleanness. Haggai shows that uncleanness will spread. Cleanness does not spread. Uncleanness will always overcome cleanness. If you have a sepulcher that's full of dead men's bones, you'd become unclean because you can't touch something that's dead. We have to cleanse our thoughts. Cleansing our thoughts doesn't mean make them sparkle. It means remove everything that's unclean from there and replace it with what's clean, which is the teaching that is in Ezekiel. Because when a priest's mind is filled with nonsense he learned on the internet, or whatever the equivalent was in Ezekiel's time, no matter how much Torah he also knows, he's going to spread uncleanness. He's going to spread lies, like you said, Father. If you're going to clean the outside of a cup, but not the inside, and then you're going to put a drink and serve it to somebody, you just serve them uncleanness. If you want to touch the sepulcher, you have to remove everything that's unclean before you can even start to cleanse it. The Pharisees have to remove everything from their heart, meaning their mind, all their thoughts and all their thinking, replace it with what is correct, and then they can act. When we see the individualistic American Christian who wants to act the right way, who wants to go to the right church, who wants to be able to say the right words, but they spend no time researching the way that their own mind contradicts Scripture, removing from their mind everything that contradicts Scripture. And how about this? Reading Scripture to start putting some of the clean things in their minds, they don't do any of those things, so there's no hope. They're just as lost as the Pharisees. Here's the thing about this metaphor of the whitewashed tomb, and Ezekiel deals with whitewashed walls, but I like Matthew zeroing in on the tomb because how can something, as you say, that is inherently unclean, a pile of bones, how can something that contains uncleanness teach cleanness? How can something that is full of death give life? The hypocrisy of religion, as is so clearly elucidated in Hosea and picked up in Matthew, is that the things we do to feel or to look clean when we perform our rituals are delusional. And everybody's guilty of this. You feel unclean. You feel like life has gotten you down. You feel like you've become too selfish or greedy or alienated. You go to church in whatever tradition you're in, in our tradition, you hear the beautiful chanting, you see the beautiful iconography, which is meaningful, you smell the incense, you have these gestures of honor and dignity towards sacred objects and toward one another, and you feel better. That's a misuse of liturgy. Liturgy should teach you not how to feel better, but how to see your actual condition, which is that inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's more than a metaphor because we are all going to die. That's the power of this teaching. 
So if you recognize that inside you're ultimately full of dead bones, then you stop trying to teach yourself and impose yourself, and you look instead to the heavenly city, which is the source of life and the source of cleanness, not ritual purity, but correct speech, speech that isn't vulgar. And I'm not talking about foul language. I'm talking about speech that causes harm. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This word in Greek, anomia, gets at the heart of what Ezekiel is saying, Rich. Because either the law is written on your heart, and when you open your mouth to speak, you speak the words of the scroll, or you pontificate about what you saw on Facebook or read in a newspaper or whatever. Now, I'm not saying you don't talk about the things you read on Facebook or in a newspaper, but you don't talk from them. You talk from Scripture in judgment of them. And it's not you who is judging. It is Scripture that is judging. You are implementing the scriptural command by applying its judgment in your situation. It's not coming from you. And if you're wrong, God will judge you. That's the system. God is not mocked. You can fool people. You can't fool God. It's about the law written on your heart because it's inaccessible to any other human being. It's only accessible to God. Only God can see that the law is written on your heart. Anomias means unlawful. It's also unbiblical or untorachic, anti-scripture. You look good to people, but inside you're anti-scripture. Your thinking is anti-scripture. Your mind is anti-scripture. Your knowledge is anti-scripture. And by anti-scripture, I don't mean that you're saying something against scripture. I mean, it's devoid of scripture. You don't know scripture. Anyone who can give me statistics about global warming or statistics about vote counts in Nevada and doesn't know the difference between Deuteronomy 31 and Deuteronomy 32 is full of hypocrisy. Unless they're not a Christian. They're unrighteous, according to Scripture, but they're also not hypocrites. They're a step above the people who call themselves righteous, but are neither righteous nor faithful. According to Paul, non-Christians are free to worship whomever or whatever they want. It's none of our business. So if half the country worships politics, so be it. But you can't worship politics. Are you kidding me? If you claim that Scripture is authoritative, you cannot worship the one that Scripture makes fun of and reminds us is temporary. That is the dead men's bones that we fill our minds with. If you're on Facebook longer than you're on Scripture, then you're full of dead men's bones. If you're doing your research on conspiracy theories, if you're on YouTube longer than you're reading Scripture, you are a hypocrite. You are anomias. You are anti-scriptural. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.